Well, do please keep your Bibles open there at Matthew chapter 25 as we look at that passage together. Uh, as we prepare to do that, please pray with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you and praise you that in your word, the Bible, you have revealed to us the truth about yourself. You teach us who you are. You teach us all that you've done for us. And you teach us how to live as your people. Uh, help us, we ask, as we read this part of your word this morning, to understand what we read and to be growing as followers of Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What will it be like when Jesus returns? And how can we be ready for Jesus to return? We started looking at this question last week uh, as Jesus teaches his disciples what will happen after the cross, uh, what life will be like beyond his death and resurrection. Uh, and we focused on the principle there of, of persevering until Jesus' return. Uh, life will be hard, there'll be opposition uh, to Christians in the last days, uh, but all who trust in Jesus uh, can be assured that he'll return, all who stand firm uh, who are living by faith in Jesus when he returns, will be saved. We heard that assurance last week. Uh, just what it will look like and exactly what will happen when Jesus returns, uh, well, that's a hotly debated topic and variously interpreted by Christians. Uh, one image we're left with at the end of chapter 24 gives rise uh, to the idea of uh, the rapture. Uh, and you may have heard of this, where at Jesus' return, well, Christians are taken to uh, suddenly to be in heaven with him and and those who are, are left who are not taken uh, endure a time of tribulation until the final judgment uh, back in 1969 christian musician larry norman wrote a well-known song which borrows some of the imagery from the end of matthew 24 and leans in the direction of that uh, that very idea of, of a rapture when jesus returns uh, the song is called I wish we'd all been ready. Uh, these are some of the lyrics of it. Uh, a man and wife asleep in bed. She hears a noise and turns her head. He's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears and one's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Now, I like the song for a number of reasons. My favourite band, DC Talk, did a cover version of that song a few years ago. Uh, I don't follow the theology of the rapture at Jesus' return. Uh, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 24. Uh, and we'll look at that in some more detail when we come to Revelation later in the year. Uh, but at the end of chapter 24 there, as Jesus is describing his return... He's emphasising the immediacy of his return. The immediacy of his return and the importance of being ready when it happens. Uh, so what I do like about that song is that the fact that it emphasises that aspect of Jesus' return, the, the urging of people to be ready. Because when Jesus does return, there will be no changing our minds. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Uh, Left behind, I take it, in the sense of being uh, left out of heaven. Uh, no further chance of salvation. Uh, Jesus' return will be immediate and unexpected. 
but we'll all know when it happens. Uh, and when he does return, we need to be found ready and waiting because there's no chance for a change of sides after he comes. So how can we be ready for Jesus' return? Well, in one sense, the only thing that we need uh, to be ready is to be one of God's people, to be one of the elect, one of God's chosen people, those saved by Jesus. That's who will be gathered into heaven when Jesus returns. Chapter 24, uh, verse 31, we read last week, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Uh, being ready for Jesus' return in a very important sense uh, simply means being Christian, having put your faith in him and trusting in him for salvation. Of course, this also means that we will be living in a certain way. Uh, there's a way of life, actions and attitudes that demonstrate we are trusting in Jesus. If we trust in Jesus and are ready for him to return, we'll be living in certain ways uh, that there will be evidence that we are among his elect. Uh, in chapter 25, Jesus tells three parables that describe this way of living. Uh, how will we and others know that we are ready and waiting for Jesus' return? Uh, the three parables uh, describe the life and behaviour of one who is ready for Jesus to return. Going to have a look at them, uh, the three parables in turn. The first parable highlights the need for preparedness, the need to, to be ready, alert and prepared for the coming of the Son of Man. We get a real sense in this parable of the delay of Jesus' return. Uh, it's not uh, perhaps when, when people expected it. There's a clear indication that it's not going to happen immediately. Uh, his return will feel as though it's delayed. It will take longer than we expect. And so we need to persevere in following Jesus. Uh, we need to be found living as followers of Jesus when he returns. Uh, because remember, after Jesus returns, well, then it will be too late. Uh, in the parable, those who are ready for Jesus' return, uh, they are the wise ones, and those who are not ready for Jesus' return are foolish. Uh, the parable apparently closely represents wedding customs at the time. Uh, the festivities at a wedding were, were varied and went on for some days. And here, ten virgins or ten young women uh, go out to meet the bridegroom as he returns, uh, probably from the bride's home, to his own home where the wedding banquet will take place. They have their lamps there with them because it's at night and the bridegroom is taking a while. Uh, they fall asleep, he's taking so long. And then when they hear the call at midnight, here's the bridegroom come out to meet him. Uh, well, they, they all wake up and we find half of them, well, they're prepared for the long wait and they were ready for the bridegroom's arrival at any time. Half of them aren't. Uh, those who were prepared, they have extra oil to trim their lamps, and then they go to the wedding banquet. The others have to go off and buy more oil, uh, and by the time they get back, the door is shut. Verses 11 to 13. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. We need to be found ready and waiting, prepared for Jesus' return. And that means being found following him when he returns. Uh, trying to go off and get yourself ready after he comes back, that's not going to work. It's not an option. Uh, and one person's readiness can't be transferred or shared with another. Uh, the 
wise person is ready, putting their faith in Jesus. The foolish person is found not putting their faith in Jesus. Uh, Jesus has contrasted the wise and foolish before in Matthew. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, the wise person listens to Jesus' words and puts them into practice, building their life on him as a foundation. Uh, the foolish person is the one who rejects Jesus as the foundation for life. They build their life on shaky ground and their house comes tumbling down. Now, at the end of chapter 24, uh, the wise servant is the one who is found obeying his master when the master returns. The alternative is simply to, while the master's away, go off and do whatever you want, but then be punished when the master returns. Uh, we need to be prepared for Jesus' return, uh, because we don't know <laughs> when it will be. Uh, Baden-Powell came up with a scouting motto in 1907, be prepared. He wrote that to be prepared means you are always in a state of readiness in mind and body to do your duty. The Great War was looming and Powell wanted the Boy Scouts, a service-minded organisation, he wanted them ready to respond in any case of emergency uh, to provide what help they could at any time. Uh, see, this being, being prepared in this sense, it, it's not about... Uh, knowing when an event will occur and preparing for that specific time. It's about being ready at any time. Uh, we don't know when Jesus will return. Jesus has made that clear at the end of chapter 24 and here in chapter 25. Uh, the time is not known to us. Therefore, being prepared for Jesus' return, being ready for this event, uh, means following Jesus at all times, now and at all times. Not giving up that faith, but persevering until he returns. We need to see our need for God's grace now where, while we can be saved and sanctified by it. Catching that need after Jesus returns, well, that's too late and we'll be condemned instead. The second of these three parables tells us to be active. As we wait for Jesus to return, we don't simply sit and twiddle our thumbs. We actively work at producing the fruit of, of someone who follows Jesus. Fruitful, uh, faithful servants, uh, fruitful disciples of Jesus. Uh, the watchfulness and readiness for Jesus' return uh, is, is, is going to be partly expressed in the use of our gifts for his glory. Uh, the parable expresses this in terms of tradable commodities when you read bags of gold in the New Testament. Uh, sorry, in the, the, the NIV there. Uh, this translates the Greek word talent. Uh, a talent was worth roughly 20 years' income uh, for a day labourer. This is a lot of money that the master is entrusting his servants with and he expects them to do something with it while he's away. He wants some return 14 with me. Follow along from verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. All right, so the servants are each given an amount, each according to their ability. And you probably don't have to read any further to know which servants the master will be happy with and which 
servants he'll be unhappy with. When the master returns, the two servants who uh, essentially doubled what he had entrusted to them, but both heard these words from the master uh, in both verses 21 and 23. Uh, his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I note that it's, it's not about the amount that the servant makes in each case, but it's about what they do with what they're given. They're given gifts according to their ability, and the master expects them to make use of what they're given. Uh, it's the servant who does nothing with the valuable gift the master gives that is punished. Read from verse 24 with me. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now notice the servant blaming them. The ingratitude uh, is pretty clear. He's been given 20 years' wages and asked to make something of it in his master's absence. His master has given according to his ability, just like with the other servants. But in what might be considered a fairly spiteful act, he just returns the original amount to his master. I'm not going to try and make anything for you, <laughs> you big old meanie. Uh, see the master's response there from verse 26. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Servant who does nothing with what the master gives receives the opposite to the reward of his fellow servants. Uh, similarly uh, to the foolish, uh, foolish virgins awaiting the bridegroom, he's cast out. He doesn't get to share his master's happiness. Instead, he's in a place of torment and suffering. There's sorrow, weeping for what is lost and can't be regained. Just like with the previous parable, when Jesus returns, it's too late to change your mind. God gives us a wonderful gift in the gospel, more valuable than we can imagine. And a sign of those who are ready and waiting for Jesus to return is that we accept that gift and do something with it. It's not about how much we produce, we're each given according to our ability, but you know, the important thing is that we use what God has given. We, we grow in maturity, we, we share the gospel so that others will grow, we, we make the most of what God's given us, and this is a sign, this is an indication of that we belong to him. This is evidence that we are faithful servants, not wicked servants, not lazy servants. We don't earn our place in heaven by what we produce as Christians, but an active, fruitful Christian life demonstrates that we are his. Uh, and whatever the amount, we will hear those words when Jesus returns, well done, good and faithful servant. Criteria is, have we been faithful uh, with what God has given? Uh, to be unfaithful is to reject the gift and to 
blame God that we produce nothing with it. But actually, if that happens, we only have ourselves to blame. Uh, This is a sign that we're not his to begin with. Uh, We've rejected the gift. In verse 29 of this chapter, Jesus repeats what he said back in chapter 13 uh, in explaining the parable of the sower. Uh, Jesus says this, chapter 13, verse 12, "Whoever uh, Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. There Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. They have rejected God and his Messiah, Jesus, even though they are members of his chosen people, Israel, with all the privilege and knowledge that entails, all the opportunity in the world to accept this wonderful gift from God, yet they they reject it, do nothing with it. And so Jesus, in that parable, teaches in a way that condemns rather than saves. Even what they have will be taken away. But with the disciples, these truths are explained. Uh, They want to follow Jesus. They want to learn from him. And so they get to grow as followers of Jesus. Uh, They become sowers of the word and produce crops of varying amounts. In this second parable in chapter 25, the parable of the talents, the disciples hear a similar message after Several chapters of debate between Jesus and the Pharisees, the disciples can see clearly where they stand. Those who accept the Master's gift and faithfully put it to work in this life will be rewarded when Jesus returns. Those who reject it are not his people, and they will be punished. The third and final parable uh, really hones in on God's judgment. Jesus pictures himself to the disciples, uh, the Son of Man, sitting on his throne in glory and, and finally at the end of time separating all peoples, all the nations. Uh, the parable tells what happens when Jesus returns as king and judge, uh, what happens both to those who accept Jesus and to those who reject Jesus in this life. Those who accept him are the sheep, those who reject him are the goats. Uh, and the sign here that you have either accepted or rejected Jesus in this life is how you treat those who belong to him, how you treat his disciples. The fate of the nations will be determined by how they treat Jesus' followers. Good deeds done to Jesus' disciples are not simply good deeds in themselves, but they show where we stand in relation to Jesus. Don Carson uh, puts it this way in his Matthew commentary. Jesus identifies himself with the fate of his followers and makes compassion for them equivalent to compassion for himself. Jesus has been doing this throughout the Gospel of Matthew back in chapter 10. He sends the disciples out on mission and says something very similar to what he says here in chapter 25. Uh, Chapter 10, verses 40 to 42. Uh, This will be on the screen for you. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Back to chapter 25, and that's the reward Jesus is talking about here from verse 34 onwards. Uh, Chapter 25 from verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who were blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. 
For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And see the response of the, the righteous, those who belong to Jesus, from verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now these verses show us again that the, the kingdom is not earned by us. Our place in the kingdom uh, is not earned by us. Jesus is talking to those who are blessed by God. Uh, this is an inheritance from God. You don't earn an inheritance. This is a kingdom prepared for us by him since the creation of the world. We were his before we even knew it. These good deeds aren't causing God to give his people a place in heaven. These deeds are evidence that they belong to him. And therefore they belong in heaven because they, they show that they are his by the way they treat his disciples. And it's clear from the way uh, they respond to Jesus uh, that this, his people uh, in this parable don't, don't do these good deeds with reward in mind. They just naturally care for each other and for followers of Jesus, his brothers and sisters, as he says. And well, that's the equivalent of doing those things for him. That's evidence that they are his and therefore they have a reward to look forward to. The opposite is true for those who fail to treat Jesus' disciples well. Their neglect is evidence that they don't belong to him and therefore they receive punishment, not reward. Uh, have a read of the last part of that passage again with me, uh, from verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do, for one of the least of these you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. That's quite a stark ending to the chapter, isn't it? <laughs> That's pretty stark. Uh, and it sums up the options for all people. It's the very reason that we ought to be ready for Jesus' return. When he returns to judge the world, uh, all people will either be taken to be with him in heaven or, or, or will be made to depart from him. It's either eternal life in heaven or eternal punishment in hell. Uh, that's pretty stark. The world around us doesn't really want to believe in hell. Um, there's a great deal of apathy around us about Christianity uh, and about what happens after we die. I think, especially in Australia, perhaps, um, and and most Western nations, you know, heaven is a concept which most people agree with to some extent. Uh, we might talk about 
going to a better place after we die. Uh, talk about our loved ones looking down on us. Uh, you know, that sort of idea, it's the kind of idea we, we like and are happy enough to talk about. But the idea of hell is, is almost universally rejected. The majority of Australians would consider it, a, consider it a scary bedtime story at best, a fairy tale designed to get little kids to behave. Aussies are just very apathetic or, or ignorant about life after death. We we're, were talking about this at the prayer meeting yesterday morning. Uh, the topic of Shane Warne's state funeral in Melbourne came up. Uh, now, I, I didn't get to watch much of the funeral, uh, but apparently there's virtually no spiritual content in it. Pretty, pretty standard Aussie funeral. No recognition or co concern for the spiritual state of a person. Lots of talk about the many good things Shane Warne has done in his life. Uh, with cricket and with charitable foundations uh, and a basic assumption that now he's gone, he's in a better place. Well, sadly, uh, that is a terrible lie which Satan loves people to believe. Uh, that just because a person has done some good in their lives, and look, Shane Warne did, Shane Warne did plenty of good along with plenty of not good things. <laughs> But as long as maybe we've reached that 50% mark or above, or, yeah, we want to believe that it'll be okay after, after they die. God's a good bloke, isn't he? He'll, he'll accept us. We'll have a place in heaven, surely. And sadly, it's just not true. The good things we do are not what earn a place in heaven. The only thing that determines where we go after we die is whether or not we are ready for Jesus' return. And this life here and now, we need to be found among the righteous, that is, those who are trusting in Jesus alone for salvation. Uh, it's only Jesus' work for us on the cross. Him and his victory over sin and death is the only way. And if we are ready for Jesus' return, we'll be living in a certain way. There'll be evidence in our lives that we are one of his. We'll be persevering in faith because we know that he is coming again. Uh, we'll be active, we'll be living fruitful Christian lives, making the most of God's grace, uh, growing as Christians and, and sharing that gospel so that others can grow. And we'll be righteous, that is, we'll be one of his disciples, made righteous, forgiven and set free by him, and we're demonstrating this by the way we treat our fellow disciples. Those who accept Jesus' followers accept him. And, and when Jesus returns... We receive our reward and go to be with him for eternity. Of course, before this can happen, Jesus, uh, before Jesus can, uh, can come again in judgment, he has to go for the first time. Uh, he has to go to the cross to pay the penalty for sin and then rise again to defeat sin and death once for all and then return to heaven until the time is right for him to come and bring his people to be with him there forever. Uh, the first five verses of chapter 26 show us this transition. Jesus has just been talking and teaching about his return, but something terrible has to happen first. Uh, the first five verses of chapter 26 show us this transition. Jesus gives one more pronouncement of his coming crucifixion, and we see the terrible irony that this great reward we look forward to as his disciples is won for us by his unjust suffering and death. The terrible irony that the great judge of all nations will be judged 
by those he came to save. Chapter 26, verses 1 and 2. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. In the next few verses, Matthew tells us that the chief priests and the elders of the people assemble at the house of the high priest and scheme to arrest Jesus and kill him. And so the stage is set for the final act of this great play, if you like, the final climactic scene where all that Jesus has been teaching culminates in what will initially be seen as a pointless tragedy, but which will later be seen as the great act of love and salvation promised by God over centuries and this act which will usher in the last days and point humanity towards the end of the age and the beginning of eternity. That's what we'll look at as we look at the the last few chapters of Matthew uh, over the next two weeks, next Sunday, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. uh, We'll explore Jesus' last supper, his arrest, his death and his resurrection. All reminders of how we can be ready for Jesus' return and why it is that we can be confident we'll be saved. Right now, let's pray. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you because you are a, a loving and compassionate God. We praise you that you are the Almighty God. You are the God in control of the universe with power over all things. You are the God who, in love, seeks and saves your people through your son Jesus. You are the God who fulfills your promises, who fulfills your plan of salvation and promises to bring us into your reward, bring us into your kingdom when Jesus returns. We pray that we will be ready for this event. Help us to keep our faith in you, Lord. Help us to live by faith in your son, Jesus. Help us to trust in him and his work on our behalf, which pays the penalty for death and brings us the salvation we need. And help us to be confident that we will be saved when Jesus returns. Help us to live in ways which bring glory to you while we wait. Help us to persevere in our faith. Help us to be active as your people, using the good gift you've given us, using the the truth of the gospel to grow and to help others grow. Helps to be living in ways that glorify you while we wait for your return, Lord. And help us to be warning, uh, warning those who don't yet know you of uh, the judgment that is coming. That more might be saved and that you might be glorified. We pray all of this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.